Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check us out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me. Yes, email me. Send me a question, a comment, concerns, SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. And you can check the show out on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, thank you for all your support. And guess what? You can also donate on PayPal to Saturdays with Joy Keys to support the show. This morning, wow, I am honored, I will say, a New York Times bestseller. Oprah thinks she's all that. Um, she's originally from Atlanta, but now she lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, and um, she follows Formula One racing. We're going to have to ask her about that. But her new or debut book or debut novel is Beast of Prey, and this is Ayana Gray. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. you now, what's the time difference? Arkansas, what is that, two hours? Is that... I'm just I'm in the central time zone, so just one one hour central. behind. Oh, Eastern. one hour. Okay, one hour time zone. Okay, good, because that way you didn't have to wake up too early. I have calls sometimes from like the West Coast, and they're like it's like eight o'clock in the morning for them, and they're like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm glad. I'm so glad that you are able to make time um, to come on the show. I know you've been very busy. Let's start at the beginning. What was the first book you remember ever reading? When you were little? Oh, the first book that I remember reading, and I'm sure there were others, but what I remember reading was Charlotte's Web. Um, mm. And my grandmother got me, I had, an, I had the old uh, edition that had uh, illustrations in it. And it, I think I was proud of myself because it was the first book I read. Like, no, you know, my parents and grandparents had read things to me, but it was the first book that I sat down by myself and read cover to cover on my own. And I remember being so incredibly proud when I got to the last page and running mm-hmm. to my grandma and saying, I finished. I finished. And so um, that's what I remember. I love Charlotte's Web, and I remember reading that to my daughter. Um, now let me ask you about how did you get the book? Did you go to a bookstore and buy it, or did your family, like, did you go to the library? Did you have trips to the library as a kid? We had lots of trips to the, to the library as a kid. My, um, so the way it worked, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother actually um, came from New York where she lived. She was in the middle of getting her doctorate and she put her doctorate on hold because she wanted to um, help raise me. And she felt that it was very important for me and for my younger siblings to have a family member to look after them while my parents were at work. Um, Mm. So it was a huge sacrifice that she made and my grandfather made. And um, so she came down and, and she took us to museums, she took us to zoos. And it was funny because she wouldn't buy us toys. She really wasn't a fan of Barbies and, and toys, but she would buy us mm-hmm. books. You know, we'd go to Barnes yeah. and Bookstore. It was, she'd almost never say no to a book um, or something that was about education and learning in some way. So that was yes. my, when I think about like my childhood, it was, it was that kind of stuff, going to museums and, and just learning. And I, I really grew to love learning because of that. Is that relaxing for you? Do you still do that as an adult, like go to the bookstore and kind of just sit and like read something? Do you have time to even do that type of thing? 
Oh gosh, um, not lately, not this past fall. Yes, but yes. Um, libraries are still probably one of my favorite places. Um, libraries and bookstores, just being surrounded by books and the calm and the quiet. I I love going to museums um, and and just learning. Like when I learn something new, it actually. I have a habit tracker. That's, this is my first year doing a habit tracker, and I've been recording. When I can remember to do it, I write down new things that I learn. Um, and wow. at the end of, end of the year, I want to cumulative, cumulatively look and see what are all the random trivia, you know, facts I've learned. So let's see. I learned about my latest one was I, I learned about an opera that I've always been a fan okay. of but didn't know the details of. So I wrote down this trivia about an opera that I really like. So. What's the opera? Do you what is the opera? La Traviata. So it's um, one of my favorites. And my the same grandmother who was into books, she's into opera, and so I grew up listening to a lot of opera. And I had always liked it, but I didn't know what it meant. So I learned that La Traviata mm-hmm. means the fallen woman in Italian, and I learned that it's actually the most performed opera in the world. Um, so it you know random stuff, but you know I I wanted to record things I'm learning this year. <laughs> Well, you know, you can always learn, like, I'm I'm about to be 52, and, you know, people who think they know everything, just stay out of their way. They don't. Every mm-hmm. day of your life, you can learn something new, even something basic, like, you know, how you cook your eggs. Like, Johnny cooks their eggs this way, and Sarah puts milk in it, and somebody else, they always have to have, you know, sharp cheddar cheese. It's like, you can always learn something new, and that's actually – now, what's this habit tracker? It's an app that you have on your phone? There are – so people call them bulletin journals sometimes, but um, okay. they're very easy to do it. I just made one. I, I made them um, on Google Sheets, so the Google version of Microsoft Excel. I have a spreadsheet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I check off, like, when I do something, like, did I drink water today? Did I exercise today? Did I feel happy today? Did I feel stressed today? Um, did mm, I get to bed on, okay. you know, on time? And it's, it's one of those things where it's half of me kind of, like, setting goals for myself and saying I want to see how long I can exercise, like, how many consecutive days I can exercise. But also, in a given month, how many days did I feel happy? How many days did I feel stressed? And I can kind of look at that month to month and say, okay, this particular month I was feeling very ha- like there were a lot of days that were happy. This particular yes. month I would do a lot of exercise, and it's just kind of a cool way to review my life in my life and see what mm-hmm, I want to do better mm-hmm. or what I want to keep doing. No, that's a good thing. You're being very introspective because a lot of people aren't, and they're just like rambling through life and don't realize their patterns. I think that's what your mm-hmm. sheets will be showing you: or patterns that are occurring in your mm-hmm. life and. You can decide to keep those patterns or habits, if you want to call them, or you can decide mm-hmm. to change them. But first, acknowledging them, a lot of people don't even, they're just going, and they don't realize exactly. there is a pattern, you know, to their behavior. So I think that's, uh, it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, kind of nerdy, but I'm a nerd, so you're okay with me. You're <laughs> in a safe space here. This is a safe space. Yeah, I lean in. <laughs> So let's talk about your book, The Beast of Prey. Can you tell the audience a little bit about it? Sure. So Beast of Prey is young adult fantasy, which just means that there are teenagers in this book. But I've had, you know, readers, you know, as young as seven or eight, and I've had a 73-year-old woman reach out to me and say she she read it. So it's a book that I think a pretty large age group can, can enjoy. And it's Pan-African inspired, which just means that, 
You know, it takes place in a world inspired by the African continent. There's Pan-African political leaders who I named characters after. Um, And very, it's very black. (laughs) Uh, Everybody in the story is black. (laughs) Very unapologetically so. Um, And it's the story of two black teenagers named Kofi and Ekon. And Kofi is an indentured servant. She works at a magical zoo with her mom trying to pay off a family debt. And Ekon is a warrior in training. He wants to be like his dad and his big brother. And he's almost there, but not quite. And then one night, a series of unfortunate (laughs) events happens and their paths cross. And Kofi and Akon, who come from, you know, just totally different lives there, their paths cross and they decide that they're going to work together, um, sort of reluctantly, but they're going to go into a magical jungle to hunt down a monster that has been killing people in their city for nearly a century. And they both have different reasons for wanting to catch this monster. And they're not really being entirely honest with each other about the reasons. Um, But they go into this magical jungle with this plan. And of course, as soon as they step foot into the jungle, nothing goes according to plan and a whole bunch of adventure Mm -hmm. ensues. So that's Feasts of Prey. Why don't you, you, did you find a piece that you wanted to read from the book um, for the audience this morning? Sure. So um, Beasts of Prey, as I mentioned, there are two characters, and the story sort of alternates between the two of their perspectives. I can read from Chapter 1. That's always a good place to start, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And just a piece from the very, really the opening of the story, um, Chapter 1 is called Good Spirits. So here we go. Okay. Okay. The hut reeked of death. It was a nauseating smell, both fetid and flea sweet, thick in the dusk as it filled Kofi's lungs. A quarter hour had passed since she'd last moved. Her legs were stiff, her mouth dry. Every so often her stomach twisted, threatening revolt, but it was no matter. She kept still as stone. Her eyes were fixed on what lay mere feet from her across the worn dirt floor, the victim. The boy's name was Sahel. Kofi hadn't worked with him in the night too long, but she recognized his bare face, mahogany brown like her own, framed by tight black curls. In life, he'd had a crooked smile, an obnoxious braying laugh not unlike that of a donkey. Those things had abandoned him in death. She studied his lanky frame. As was Gide practice, most of his body was shrouded, but dried blood still stained the white linen in places, hints of the gruesome wounds beneath. She couldn't see them, but she knew they were there, the scratches, the bite marks. From the darkest corners of her mind, a chilling image grew vivid. She imagined Sahel stumbling through a jungle, clumsy, oblivious to what waited for him among the vines. She envisioned a grotesque creature stalking forward in the moonlight, tongue darting between serrated teeth as it eyed easy prey. She heard the scream. I just stop there. <laughs> okay, okay. There's a lot more people. There's so much more. Um, I'm surprised, actually, when she was describing the, the story, I, I, she gave a lot away, which I didn't, I didn't want to say because, you know, I had read the book, so I was like, let me see how much I'm going to give away. But even in her giving away, um, she weaves, and I will just, she knows, she's weaving some stories in there. Um, and, you know, let me ask you this. A lot of the characters um, you chose, that they have, like, Yoruba names. Um, I recognize, was there a purpose in that? Uh, were you familiar with that language? Like, how did you choose which uh, African language that you would be focusing on in the book? So I wanted this, you know, 
the reality is I'm I'm African American or Black American. I think is probably what more people say now, which just means that I'm American, but my ancestry is tied to the African continent. But it's fraught because of slavery. So there's a stopping point where I just can't trace my lineage any further back, which means I don't know whether my ancestors came from West Africa, East Africa, Central, Southern, Northern Africa. And there's a misconception, I think, that a lot of African-American people are told, which is that we're all from West Africa because that's where the ship came from. But in reality, um, slaves were taken from all across the African continent and just they were brought to West Africa. And then from there, they were shipped to different parts of the Americas. And so I say all that to say that in Beasts of Prey, there's Swahili, which my name, Ayana, is a Swahili name. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, some of the names you'll see in Yoruba, some of them you'll see in Twi, which is, you know, in West Africa. Um, I deliberately picked from different regions. So some of the names and some of the languages in in the clothing, in the hairstyles that you'll see, all of it pulled from different regions to honor the fact Mm -hmm. that my ancestors were taken from different parts of the continent, and I'll never know exactly where. Um, And also, because I was actually just asked this last night by a, a person who is not black, they said, why'd you do that? And I said, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, you go to the gas station and see the keychains, and I never saw my name on the keychains. And mm-hmm. Kofi, particularly Kofi, is actually a very popular name in West Africa. It's a unisex name. And I thought about, like, all the Kofis of the world and how they, how often do they get to see their names in books. Um, right, and right. And, you know, I thought, it'd be, I thought it'd be cool, and I know when kids see themselves, especially kids, not not just kids, but especially kids, when they see themselves, when they see their names, when they see characters who look and act and have things in common with them, they're able to see themselves as the heroes of the story um, and feel and feel just seen in general and feel like they belong in this world. Um, that was something I kind of subconsciously wanted to do, and and so I did it. <laughs> I think you did it. Yes. Well, you know, it's it's um, very true about wanting to see yourself, and the whole thing about the keychain. Uh, at the gas station is is really uh, on point because um, I just recently saw a friend of mine on Facebook. Their friend has a son, and uh, their son's name is Khalil. And nobody, I guess, around the little boy has the name Khalil. And mm-hmm. so my friend, his name is Khalil, and he was he's an adult. So they did a FaceTime so that the little boy could see their other people that look like him with the name Khalil. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm-hmm. that was so ingenious. And um, we didn't get to see him. He didn't post the whole video, you know, probably privacy or whatever, but he did He did post a picture of little boy, and, and, and he, the little boy was like, my name is Khalil. And I was just like, that is just a great thing that the, the parents thought about, like, you know, just so he knows he's not the only one out there mm-hmm. um, is, is really important. And same, I remember with my daughter, her her name is Io, and she a similar situation. And then, as she grew up, she found more Ios, and that boys also could be Io. So it, mm-hmm. it was um, she felt I think more relaxed with her name. Whereas when she was little, there was nobody else. And of course, people are always asking, well, "What does that mean? What does that mean?" You know? Yeah, <laughs> um, a lot of other Yeah. What did you say? Oh, I was just, I was agreeing and saying there's a lot of othering that happens. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people yes. who deliberately, they, they misspell it. They pronounce it wrong even after you've told them how to say it. And it's it's actually a microaggression. And so as an, as a kid, I allowed it. But as an adult, 
I very, you know, I politely, I, but I insist, you know, on people saying it correctly. If they just can't say it, that's different. But, you know, can I call you Yana? Can I call you A? It's, no, my name is Ayana. That's the name that my parents chose for me, you know, and it mm-hmm. has a meaning. It means blossoming flower in Swahili, and there's a purpose to that. And the same way that, oh, gosh, I'm going to forget, but there was an actress who, who said, you know, if we can pronounce Chivosky and Beethoven, then we can pronounce um, names from all over the world because it's not a matter yes. of one being harder than the other. Yeah, I think it's a level of respect for the person um, acknowledging them, you know, mm-hmm. not just that they're this person, but they are a specific person with a specific name. It, I think it connects almost, it makes me think about when people say, I don't see color. Uh, I don't like that. I, I, I don't know. Then you're, you're, you're take you're not seeing me. Yep, exactly. You're not seeing me. I don't know what your thoughts are, Ayana. What do you feel about that? I don't see color co- comment. Oh, I think it's often said with good intention, but you know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, um, yes. You know, I, I, I gen- and I, and people are often, they'll say it and then you'll correct them and they're, they, they, they are offended that you would correct it because it's like, well, I, you know, I just don't see color. Um, and that's a privilege. It is a privilege for for a person, and it's often people who are not of color who get to say that. Um, I don't get to not see color when I when I walk out my door and people look at me. Um, it's the first thing they see about me, and they make any number of assumptions, good or bad, about me because of the way I look. Um, you know, and, and I just I absolutely agree with you. If you don't see the color of my skin and the texture of my hair, then you're not seeing pieces of me. Not all of me, but fundamental pieces of who I am. Mhm, mhm, definitely. Well, going back to this book, there there is a love story in the book. Let me ask you: Do mm-hmm. you remember your first love? Do you remember the first love oh. name? If you can tell us, uh, oh. was it in, in preschool, elementary school? Did it, did not happen to high school? What was your first love story? That's tricky. I mean, I I had crushes, and so when you ask about love. I don't think okay, we'll I say like crush. crush. Okay, crush? let's say crush. Then. Say. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> because like the first time I felt like I was genuinely in love was like in high school um, with like my first, well, my second boyfriend. Um, but my first crush was when I was maybe four or five, and um, I went to a really small private Christian school in Atlanta. There, I mean, our classes were very, very small, so we were all very close, and. Um, I was, I think I was the only black girl and my class actually was pretty for the, for the, for nineties Atlanta. <laughs> um, it was pretty diverse. Like we had a Mexican, stu- actually two Mexican students, um, white students, black students, I think one Chinese student, one Korean student. So all that to say, I ended up having a crush on the other black boy in my class um, for like two weeks. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was we giggled with my friends and I would giggle about it and he'd run away and, and it was very just funny. Did, did, was he, you think he had a crush on you too? No, I think he was like, no, girl. totally fine. Right. Um, yes, yes. He was, he was funny. <laughs> very, very oh, classic. You know? <laughs> so in the book, um, you have the city life and then you have the forest and like the forest is this like, evil, dangerous place because, um, you know, 
people are getting killed and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. As an African-American, um, I don't know where you live now in Arkansas or um, where you live in Atlanta, but I lived in a city. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we don't get to do when you're living in a city many times, this is a generalization, is to go into the park, and the, and but even more so the forest. The forest mm-hmm. is different than the park. You may have a park, but to go to the forest and go camping. Have, do you remember going camping? Did you go camping as a kid? What was your first experience going to the forest, and why were you going into the quote-unquote forest? Oh, um, so I my mom was and still is um, not an outdoorsy person at all. And my dad really, mm-hmm. they're both from New York City, so they're, they're city slickers oh, yeah. to the core. No, yeah, exactly. That was not <laughs> going. Yeah, we went to the park and we did kind of stuff outside, but we, we didn't, we definitely did not camp. But I think it was with Sunday school, there was some kind of, um, like some kind of, it wasn't a BBS. But a, a thing like a retreat, I think it was just a retreat okay. that the youth put the youth group on and we were in cabins out in the woods. And I think there's just, there's a beauty in, in being, being in nature, at least that I appreciate. Um, even though I didn't get to go often, I told you that you know, my grandmother was very big on us learning. So going to museums, especially like natural history museums and learning about the mm-hmm. different like Georgia animals and the different kinds of trees. And my grand, my grandfather was um, very, very interested in the sciences. And so even, it's interesting, even in a place like New York City, because sometimes we'd go up to New York City and see them, we'd be walking in these parks in New York, and he would say, do you see that leaf? That's a maple leaf. Um, one day, I, this is a random story, but one day I asked my grandfather, and I said, what would happen if a spider got in a fight with a bumblebee? And he said, I don't know, let's find out. <laughs> And we spent the whole day finding the perfect spider and finding oh my a bumblebee and trap it. It was it was actually sort of bad, but um, we found both <laughs> and we built the, we built them a habitat and we mm. put them in the habitat and we observed them. And I just that story always stays with me because it was a child's curiosity and my grandfather fulfilled it and and took a whole day to satisfy that curiosity so that I could learn and I could observe. What it, what you know nature even in a small way. Um, mm. So that's a, that's a I, I go on tangents. I'm sorry, but um, no, no. But I, I, think I think it's it's connected. It's connected definitely. You you were in the nature and you were learning. <laughs> but uh, just yeah, the point I just, of a lot I've of kids loved don't it. have that opportunity to to go into the forest, but also that the forest can or forest or uh, can be negative. And I I go to lynchings, if you will, or something. You know. Um, or you always see slave movies and the, the slaves are running through the forest to try to get away from, you know, mm-hmm. the owner. Um, it, it's not a happy place, like, for black people. Like, why would we go camping? Because, I mean, I've talked to friends and they're like, well, I'm not going to go camping because I don't want to, like, be shot by some white hunters thinking, you know, yeah, they can just shoot yeah. me and then, you know, that's it. Nobody's going to find my body. I mean, this is a real conversation. And this is something right. that white people are probably not going to have that conversation. They're like, oh, yeah, let's go park. Let's go to the camp. Let's go up to the mountains. Da, 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 da. No, as a black person, you're like, mm-mm, some white person go see me, and they're going to have questions, and they're going to have a gun. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, and these are, of course, not always the case. That's not the case. But that is our trauma type of generational 
I don't know, PTSD type of thing, if you, I mean, do you think you can label, it, label it like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, and I was yeah. going to say, I, I think it, it's a sad form of erasure because that's the African-American relationship with, with forests and jungles and, and wilderness. But mm-hmm. we know that in various parts of Africa, peoples, plural, built their lives around the land and yes. were nomadic, sometimes, you know, used the, mater- the raw materials of the land to build shelter and to have food and to create clothing and jewelry and were absolutely in tune with the land. So that was something that was taken and completely severed when, when we were, when we as a people were were uprooted and, and brought to America. Um, you know, so it's, it's sad to me because that's, you're right. It's a piece of the trauma that I, it's, I don't know how or when we will be able to overcome it. The other, yeah. the other thing too, you, that, you know, forests and jungles are often seen as, as evil and I don't want to spoil the story, but it's something that Kofi and Ekon, they have misconceptions and, and assumptions about this jungle because everybody has said it's bad. And when they go into the jungle, um, you know, learning that the jungle has its, you know, is in itself kind of a character and maybe it was misunderstood. Um, I wanted to talk about good and evil in this story and how sometimes what we think of as evil is not, and what we think of as good is not. And it's all about who tells the story, you know? Um, And that brings, you know, why it's important to have, African-American authors telling Pan-African, you know, youth stories and, and fictional fantasy stories so that there's a different perspective being told. Um, going back to the book real quick, one of the things you talk about in the book is magic. Um, it's called The Splendor. And I noticed mm-hmm. that The Splendor is um, the people who have the, the power, or well, the most power seems to be the, the women in the book. Um, mm. And one of the things that made me think about, I'm trying not to give to it, but it, it, it t- made me think about women and birth and birthing and giving life and having life pass literally through it, you know, through the mm-hmm. vaginal canal, if you will. Um, I'm not sure, was that where your mind was thinking or you were just, where did where did the magic and how it operated come from? Where did that perspective I think, um, you know, a lot of times as I was writing this, I was thinking a lot back to who I was at 17 and 16 years old, because that was a really, um, I think, significant time for me in my life. And when I think about how I became the way I am, that was just a really transformational time. Um, I think in a lot of especially young adult fantasy stories, you see a lot of orphaned heroes, right? Like, you know, mom and dad died and whatever reason. And it's always this very sad thing where the mom and dad were great and they passed away and it was a tragedy. But mm-hmm. we don't see stories where a character is dealing with grief and grieving somebody who they were angry at or upset with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a different mm-hmm. kind of grief because you're sad they're gone, but you're still mad at them and that's not resolved. And so I was getting to know Kofi as I was writing her and, and she's not emotionally intelligent. That's something that I learned about when I was in college um, all about emotional intelligence and how you can be really smart, but be totally not clued into how you're feeling and checking in with your body. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I wanted to create a magic system that required Kofi to become more emotionally intelligent. So, so um, I, this is random, but I studied 
Buddhism a little bit while I was in college and thought it was fascinating, this idea of energy moving through the body and the chakra and this idea of there being blockages that can cause you to be ill. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I put those together and said, what if this was a, what if the magic in this story works like an energy that moves? It can only work if it's moving through your body and flowing through your body. But the only way that can happen is if you are emotionally intelligent and you do face you know, grief and face anger and, and, and resolve the emotions that you haven't dealt with. And that's Kofi's mm. problem is she hasn't. So, yeah, I wanted well, to several something different a characters quick. have. Yeah, no, no, several different characters have, they're dealing with emotional blockages. And I think for young people of color, many of them maybe have lost a parent, um, may not be with a parent, a parent may be in jail, um, I mean, mm-hmm. it's very statistically probable, and so that's a loss. They may or may not be able to see that parent, depending on where they are in the jail, uh, male or female, mm-hmm. mother or father. And so now they're left with whomever they're left with, hopefully a caring person, but they may not. So they could be angry just that you left me because you made a bad choice. That had nothing to do with yep. me, but you don't know that as a kid. So you might be yep. like, did they leave because of me? All these things that children think. So I think... Uh, Akon's character really will resonate. Um, but also, I think with Kofi and her strength and learning her power, young women are taught sometimes to shrink and not be yes. their full selves and, 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 and be bright, to shine their light, and especially next to a male character. Um, but I, so I appreciate the book for, for, for those aspects um of, of of enlightening women or light you know shining a light on women so to speak um but i'm going to give away some copies of your book and i just want to thank you again um for coming on the show today and and sharing your stories that had nothing to do with the book <laughs> but some degree they did because i asked those questions <laughs> um what's coming next that was this fun. Is part of a series What's coming next yes, for, and for you? Yes, and just I was going to say thank you for those questions because they were questions I don't usually get asked, and I really enjoyed them. Um, but, good, good, uh, good. <laughs> Beasts of, yeah, Beasts of Prey is, is the first in a trilogy, so there will be two more. Um, book two is in 2022, and if all goes according to plan, book three will be in 2023. And I... I don't know if I got to mention it before, but earlier this year, um, Netflix actually picked up book one. So it will be adapted, hopefully, in the next year or so, depending on how long it takes, um, into a feature film. So I can't wait for that. I mean, I'm reading the book and my visualization of like the forest scenes, the city, I'm like wondering how much is going to be actually really in a city or is it going to be like um, green screen stuff? I, I, I think that'll be, if done correctly, like maybe the same people who did um, Black Panther can work with them. <laughs> oh, that's, that's insane. Insane. And they filmed a lot of Black Panther in Atlanta, actually. See, look at there. Look at there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. thank you again. I hope you come back to talk about these uh second and third book, I would love to have you back on. Um, Let me ask you real quick. These are questions that I saw in your interviews that you've done with people. If you could fly or be invisible, which one? Oh, I would fly. (laughs) Easy. I would fly. 
And if you're, you had an anthem, a theme song, what is your theme song? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I love music, so that's really, really hard. Um, <laughs> it, changes every, well, it changes every single day. Um, okay. Oh, what gosh. about in the last week? What was your theme song in the last week? I'm going to go with, like, in just my first thing that comes to my head. So, it, you know, if you mm-hmm. ask me tomorrow, it could change. But I really like um, Boss by Beyonce. <laughs> It's just like power up song. Okay, and last thing, last thing, um, I ask people a lot of times about food. Can you cook? What's your favorite dish? I can cook certain things. There's a family recipe for macaroni and cheese that I. It's three generations old now, so I can do that. Um, okay, I'm and very, I'm very much in my, in my macaroni and cheese. I'm being silly. <laughs> I was like, I was like, my heart stopped. I was like, wait, no. Um, it's like a four cheese, four cheese thing. Um, yes. I, I'm very, I'm a rule follower, so I like exact instructions. My sister's like, just a pinch here, and I'm like, no, I need a measurement. So mm. I can kind of, I can kind of cook, but it's not something I do for fun. I get too frustrated when it doesn't turn out perfectly. Um, okay. I love, I love, love, love Italian food. Um, my favorite, just like something that I, I love creme brulee. That's a really random thing. Oh my gosh. I have a, girl, a girlfriend who loves that. She loves, oh my God. Every place we go, if they have it, she's like, oh my God, that's, that's what I'm getting for dessert. <laughs> that's what I'm getting. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's hard to find. It, I mean, it's not everywhere. Um, so I, I mean, I love creme brulee. I love like desserts. Um, but any pasta, you know, any you, pasta. you can't go wrong with pasta. Yeah. Have you been to Italy? I haven't, but you know what? Um, well, now I say it. I don't know if we'll get to go. I'm, I've been trying to plan a trip with my spouse now that the pandemic has sort of begun to settle down. Um, okay. Like one of my friends got back from Florence, and she was recommending it. So it's on the list. <laughs> I'm going you to You have to go. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. great, too. But if you want some good food, you got to go. Florence, um, I, I went to Florence uh, Siena, pizza, um, the food is amazing. I, I, I'm hoping it's the same way. Like this was a while ago I went to, to, to Italy, but um, when I went to the supermarket there, I remember, like, there were aisles of pasta, and I was like, I did not know there was this many types of pasta ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so you will have, you will probably, you know, gain 10 pounds if you go for one week um, just because you want to try all the different types of food and, and gelato totally and stuff fun. like that. It's totally fine, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you, always you have a great weekend. Oh, yes, right. You can walk oh. in the forest when you get home. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was so lovely. Thank you for having me, Joy. I really, really had fun. I'm glad. Thank you so much again for taking the time, and I wish you so much luck. Um, and I'll talk to you soon, hopefully. All right. Happy Saturday. Oh, yes, and happy Gobble Gobble, happy Indigenous Day, just happy Family Day. Hopefully you'll be time with your family. Right back at you. (laughs) All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Ayana Gray. We were talking about her book, her debut novel, Beast of Prey, which was on the New York Times bestselling list for more than a month, I think, and then... Oprah definitely touted its uh, praises, and it's part of a series. So 
got to get this book first, and I'm going to be giving away some copies, so you want to follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Again, thank you so much. I have a special guest. I'm going to be doing an Instagram Live interview with actress Regina Taylor on Tuesday, the 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern. Again, it's Instagram Live um, Tuesday with actress Regina Taylor. Um, so check that out. All right. Talk to you later. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.